So as you can tell, this morning is going to be just a little bit different. Um, this isn't your normal um, kind of Sunday morning. Today is all about rescue. Um, so before I get started, um, yeah, Sam and I met at Caribou about three years ago, and then last November, I moved to Groton. Now, nobody just moves to Groton. Um, it's, you know, it's not like a go-to destination. Don't get me wrong, we love it there. But um, my, my daughter, or my, my niece, Ashley, is married to um, Micah Westby, who is a downtown campus pastor for New Life. And my son and daughter-in-law came out on vacation, fell in love with Aberdeen, and decided they were going to move here. So they moved out here last September, and they are so selfish, they brought our only three grandkids with them. Um, I know, what a bunch of jerks. So we decided that we were going to follow. So we moved to Groton. We got here uh, two days before Thanksgiving, um, and we got to see our grass for about two weeks. And everybody told us, you picked the wrong winter to move to South Dakota. Um, I, I guess that's fine because we got the worst out of the way. Um, but we actually love it here. It's, it's nice. Um, in Oregon, it can rain 30, 35 days in a row. So it is, it is not. I'll take the snow over pouring down rain every day. But as Sam said, I work for a group called Destiny Rescue. We are a Christian nonprofit and we go out undercover in multiple countries around the world, in Latin America, Africa, and Southeast Asia, and we find kids that are being abused and exploited, and we figure out ways to rescue them. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk a bit. I'm going to read my favorite passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to share some stories and some uncomfortable statistics. Some of these stories, some of these statistics will break your heart. Um, I've been telling about the work of Destiny Rescue for 10 years, and it still crushes me every time I get up and speak. And then, after all of that, I'm going to call you to action. Because today is about rescue. And today is about the church rising up and being the hands and feet of Jesus. In April, I was fortunate enough to go to um, Louis Giglio's church in, in Atlanta and be part of a, they called it the Speak Conference. It was the art of preaching. And I will never forget, one of the, one of the pastors stood up and he said, every time you get up and speak, the congregation should be able to boil down everything that you said into one sentence. So I have taken that and run with it. So here is your one sentence. Are you ready? One of you is. <laughs> your one sentence is this. I can rescue. Repeat that after me. I can rescue. Okay, that was terrible. <laughs> okay, let's try. Okay, listen. I grew up in a Baptist church, okay? I know Baptists don't talk a lot. You're very afraid of becoming Pentecostal. Okay, so let's try that again. I can rescue. Okay, we got one old Pentecostal in the back. 
I didn't mean old as in age-wise. I better just shut up and keep going. So if you have a Bible, please turn to John chapter 4. Out of all of God's Word, this is my favorite, absolute favorite passage of Scripture. John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 26. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, he said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands, and the man you, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one to you, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for this incredible story of, of rescue and redemption and forgiveness. Um, and we just thank you that you love us and that you're here with us. These things I pray in your name. Amen. In, I think it was either the 80s or the 90s, um, you guys remember WWJD? When was that? 80s, 90s, or both? What's that? Okay. It kind of took over the world there for a while. 
I mean, there were bracelets, posters, coffee mugs. I, I'm, I'm not sure you could actually consider yourself a Christian if you didn't at least have a bracelet, a t-shirt, a coffee mug, and a painting somewhere in your house. I mean, it was literally everywhere. But I think in the WWJD, for those who don't know what that is, stands for, what would Jesus do? But I think that's the wrong question. I think the right question is, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And in this piece of scripture, Jesus did what I call chasing the broken. The thing I love about this passage of scripture is Jesus did not wait for this woman to come to him. He went to her. And in this passage, at the beginning, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And that's kind of problematic because he didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria. And he chose to go through Samaria not to get water from Jacob's well. He went there for one reason. He went there to rescue this woman. And he crossed all kinds, bless you, he crossed all kinds of societal barriers to go through Samaria and to find this woman and to rescue this woman. We don't have enough time here this morning to, to really break down the hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Um, it could probably be an eight-week eight sermon series on hate, um, which probably would not be much fun at all. Uh, but the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And what's interesting about that is their family, they are both from the 12 tribes of Israel. And the hatred actually started about 722 B.C. when Israel, the northern kingdom, which is where Samaria is, was separated from Judah, the southern kingdom. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrians took captive um, almost everybody from the northern kingdom of Israel. And they backfilled all those people that they took with Assyrians and people from other cultures, other, other religions, and the people in the northern kingdom intermarried with them and then started worshiping other gods. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the people in the southern kingdom considered them mongrels and half-breeds, and they had taken God's word and they had defiled it and they had chased after other gods. I'm not sure why they were so mad at them. It's kind of the same thing that the, the nation of Israel got in trouble by God for all the time in the Old Testament. But this stuck. And so there was a hatred. Any Jew in Jesus' time would have traveled three days to go around Samaria so that they would not have to defile themselves by walking through Samaria and coming in contact with the Samaria, let alone this woman here. No Jew went through Samaria, but Jesus did. Jesus did. And he went there not for water, not for food. 
He was there at this particular time in this particular place to rescue one woman. And he was there to rescue a broken, lonely, and ashamed woman. And we know she was broken, lonely, and ashamed by her own actions. In verses 6 and 7, it says that she went to the well at noon. And I cannot imagine what her life was like. But I do know this. If you have ever been to a country where people have had to go draw water, nobody goes at noon. And they don't go at noon because it is hot. And it's kind of like a social gathering. Most of the people that, that gather water in the mornings, and I've been in countries where they've had to go out and gather water in the mornings. It, it's kind of like a social thing. Okay, we're all going to get water. And, and all of the ladies and kids go draw water, and they get a chance to talk. Um, but it's also um, a way for them to protect themselves. Because oftentimes, in some of these countries, there are wild animals. Um, there are groups that would, that would pick out one person going by themselves, and, and they would attack them and rob them. Um, but this woman, this woman chose to go every day at noon. And the reason she did was she was hiding. She was hiding from, from everyone in town. I can almost picture her sitting in her house, drawing back a curtain and looking out to see, okay, is everybody, is everybody gone now? Is it safe for me to go out in public? And is it safe for me to go to the well? And what's interesting about this story is not just that she went at noon, but there was a well that was closer that most everybody else used. But she didn't use that well. She used the one that was out of town because she wanted to make sure that she did not come into contact with anyone because she was broken, lonely, and ashamed until she met Jesus. And one of the things that is so incredible about this story is there are seven I am statements in John. And by saying I am, Jesus is saying, I am God. But this is the, and they don't even consider this one of the I am statements, but this time, this place, with this broken, lonely, and ashamed woman was the first time that Jesus had told anybody outside of his inner circle, that I am God. And I love the fact that The Chosen, the TV series The Chosen, showed this particular scene. And what I love is, is when she looks at Jesus and almost with pleading, begging eyes, and she's like, you promise? You promise? It's not going to be about temples. And you can see the brokenness in her start to fade away. It is just like that with the kids that we rescue. In November, 
I had the opportunity to, to go to Africa with Destiny Rescue. And I have been able to go out undercover in, in Thailand and in Cambodia and then this time when we were in Uganda. And we were working in this slum. And when I say slum, I, I mean places that you would not, most people would not put their chickens in is where people lived. They had these ditches that were probably four feet deep and they had these little walkways to get across the ditches. Every time I walked across one, I was like, oh dear Lord, please don't let this break. I know I need to lose weight. Please do not let this thing break. And I even told the guys that we were with, if this breaks and I fall in, you can just kill me and leave me here. Um, because I, um, what was flowing through there is not something that anybody would want to fall into. And so we were out looking for kids to rescue. And we got a call from an informant in one of the, in, in one of the areas that we were working. And she said, there's a girl here. You need to get her out today. I'll call her Sadie. That's not her real name. But we met Sadie. Sadie did not know how old she was. She thought she was about 16. When Sadie was little, she doesn't remember how old she was, she was doing what little kids are supposed to do. She was outside playing in the dirt. A car pulled up and grabbed her and threw her in, and she wound up in town in Kampala, a town of about 10 million people. Um, she was eventually sold to a family, and she did all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the laundry, all the housework. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was there were three men in that household. Those three men got to abuse that kid anytime they wanted, every single day. So we were able to sit down with Sadie, and we were able to offer her rescue. And she's about this tall and probably weighs about 90 pounds. The thing I love about the woman at the well and the story about the woman at the well is I can picture her face once she understood who Jesus was and what Jesus was offering. And because I've seen that in the faces of kids. When, when Sadie understood that her life was about to change, she looked at us and her eyes got real big and then she stood up and she hugged us so tightly that I thought she was going to snap my spine and she wouldn't let go. You know, I, I'm not sure what the, what the length of time is for a normal hug, um, but it was well beyond that. And she just grabbed us and held us and would not let go. And we were able to get her into one of our rescue homes. And there were 150 girls at this rescue home. We called our, our house mom later that day and we asked her how she was doing. And she said when she got there, all of the girls lined up and were arguing over whose dorm she got to stay in. So she went from no family 
to having 150 sisters. And it's so funny at these rescue homes, the girls literally act like sisters. They share hairbrushes and makeup and they argue and they pull each other's hair and they have food fights and all the crazy dumb things that kids are supposed to do. But that's why Destiny Rescue exists. We exist to put an end to child sex trafficking. Right now, human trafficking is a $150 billion a year industry. 99 billion of that comes from sex trafficking. That averages out to $11.3 million an hour, every hour of every single day. The average age of a child trafficked for those purposes is 12 to 14. The youngest that Destiny Rescue has ever rescued, the youngest boy, was 18 months. The youngest, it's even hard to say, the youngest girl that we have ever rescued was eight weeks old. She was not being abused yet, but she was in a position where if a customer had come in and wanted to rent her, and I do mean rent, she would have been given to a customer. I have walked through red light districts in Thailand and seen a table filled with probably about 20 girls, maybe 12 to 15 years old, and they all have a number on. And when a customer comes up and wants them, they'll take that number off, they'll hand it to a security guard, and they will walk off with that customer. And then they come back, put their number back on, and sit down and wait for the abuse to happen again. These kids are forced to live this way every single day. We have rescued kids. And by the way, we do rescue boys. Most of, I say girls a lot, about 90 plus percent of all the kids that we rescue are girls. But we have, we did a raid last year in the Philippines where we rescued a van load of little boys ages six, seven, eight, and nine. We have rescued kids who've had to be with up to 40 customers every single day. Our founder tells a story of going out undercover and standing in a brothel and looking over and seeing a line. And it was a single file line. There was a little girl on the other side of this door. And all the guys were lined up. And when one customer was done, he would walk out. The next one would walk in. And then when he was done, he would walk out and the next one would walk in. That is her life every single day. Some kids are sold for just a few dollars. There are places where you could buy a six-pack of Coke at Walmart, and it, you could buy a child for less than that. We've rescued, we rescued one little girl who was being sold for 35 cents. How do we get to the point where a child's value is 35 cents. Since 2011, Destiny Rescue has rescued 13,000 
186 children and adults. That is as of the end of June. This year, from January through the end of June, we have rescued 1,754. And we rescue in various ways. Some we do raids with law enforcement, and we love raids. The reason we love raids is because in an average raid, 13 people get rescued and two traffickers get arrested. We have done two raids in the Philippines. One, we rescued 71 people at one time. Another, we rescued 151 women who were being warehoused like you would warehouse green beans. And we're able not just to rescue kids, but we're able to arrest the traffickers. So far this year, we've done 36 raids and arrested 38 traffickers. And the best part about that is those traffickers get to spend the rest of their life um, questioning their life choices. We hope they come to know Jesus while they're in prison. And I will tell you a very quick story. The country where, um, where this girl on the video was, was rescued is one of our undisclosed countries. We have several undisclosed countries because... Um, just because of the danger factor. And in this country, our rescue agent, who was also a pastor, was walking down a road, and I think it's the worst road on planet Earth for human trafficking. And the Christian singer Natalie Grant drove down that road, and she saw a little girl in a bamboo cage on the side of the road that was for sale. And our rescue agent, somebody found out that he was a pastor, and there was a trafficker on that road who got deathly ill. And they were asked to, to come in and pray for this trafficker. And he did. And there was a miraculous healing. It took me a minute to wrap my brain around that. It's like, why would you go in? God, why are you wasting a miracle on a trafficker? Um, but because of that, that trafficker said, you now have my permission and my protection. You can go up and down this road anytime you want, and you will be protected. So we were able to do a raid on that road. The female trafficker was sent to prison. While she was in prison, um, our rescue agent went to visit her and led her to Jesus. And she said, I no longer have use for this building because I'm in prison. You take it. You do with it whatever you want. They started a church there. The first Sunday, they had 150 people, all human traffickers and adult sex workers. Only God can do that. I love to tell that story because it just reminds me about how big God is. We also do covert um, rescues. It's where we go in undercover poses customers, and then we have border crossing stations where our ladies that run these stations get to interview anybody that's crossing, and they get to, they get to ask questions, and we rescue hundreds and hundreds and hundreds every year, and the thing I love about what happens at these border crossing stations, we are getting those kids before they're abused. They're on their way to meet traffickers. And once they cross that border, some of those kids are sold to countries in Africa. Some of them are sold to countries in the Middle East. We've rescued kids who were um, being trafficked for their organs. 
Um, but once we're able to rescue them, we're able to get them back to their families. And we are, our newest weapon is called OSEC. It's online sexual exploitation. We had a group that gave us a very, very generous donation. And they said, take this, develop a program that hunts for children on the internet. So we now have a program and we have 15 people working this every single day. They can input keywords and this program will find images of children. Um, they can go through hundreds of thousands of images in seconds and find images of um, illicit images of children online. Once we're able to find those images, we're able to try to make connections with the people that are, that are buying and selling these kids. And our goal, I know in the movie Sound for Freedom, um, or Sound of Freedom, they, they showed them um, getting the perpetrator and they weren't able to get the kid. Our goal is we start with the child. We start with the kid and then work our way back. When we rescued the 18-month-old boy, he was being abused online. We were able, along with law enforcement, we were able to get all of his computer, um, his computers, his phones, all of his contact information, and we were able to give all of that contact information to Interpol, Scotland Yard, the FBI, Homeland Security. And so we're able to rescue the child and then work our way backwards. And hopefully, hopefully, um, the people that are either paying for this or supplying it have some very uncomfortable knocks on their door. Rescue is in our name and it gets all, almost all the attention because it's, I don't know, just, just because it's, it's kind of, especially for guys, it brings out guys' inner Navy SEAL. But my favorite part of rescue happens after the rescue. Because if we just rescued kids and we said, you're free now, go have a great life, we'd be rescuing the same kids over and over and over. Our goal is to create a freedom plan for every child that we rescue. And in that freedom plan, it can include getting them back to school. It can include getting them a job, um, feeding them. Last year, we had 1,880 children in our aftercare program. But most of the kids that we rescued are, are being trafficked because of, of poverty. So while we can get them back to their families, if we can get them back to their families safely, we also help feed their families. We fed over 12,000 people last year. And our goal is that every child that we rescue can stand on their own two feet and never have to worry about, about trafficking again. Uh, do I have time for a quick story? Okay. Sam said Culver's will still be there. I can talk all day. Um, <laughs> My three-year-old grandson, that's a, as soon as church is over, can we go Culver's? I need a burger. Really, he wants the ice cream that comes after the burger, but he tells us he wants a burger. So a few years ago, we rescued two 14-year-old girls in Cambodia, and they went through a six-week business class. During this class, 
they had to do everything. Like if you wanted to start a business here in the U.S. Um, and you needed a loan, they had to come up with everything that you would have to take in to a bank to get a loan. They had to, first of all, say what kind of business it was going to be, how much it was going to cost to start it, and how much it was going to cost to run it. So after six weeks, these two 14-year-old girls decided that they wanted to run a food cart, which in Southeast Asia is pretty normal. I mean, if there was a Culver's in Southeast Asia and you went there, there would be five food carts in the parking lot and two on each side of the front door. Um, we bought fried ice cream in a turning lane. Not by a turning lane, in a turning lane. The ice cream was good and you got your steps in dodging traffic. Um, I'm going to ask you one question. What do you think, nobody's ever guessed this, but I need at least two of you to answer. What do you think that two 14-year-olds in Cambodia decided to serve at their food cart? Keep in mind that in Cambodia, they eat deep-fried tarantulas. And it's, they're just as awful as they sound. We split one on the last trip. It's, people ask me what it tastes like. It tastes like deep-fried spider. It's awful. It's just awful. But you know, you know, you know the best part of, of going to this place where they serve this? It's a tourist attraction. It's called the Spider Market. When your bus pulls up, little boys are turds, no matter what country you're in. Um, they have these little five, six, seven-year-old boys, and they are standing there holding these giant tarantulas. Sometimes they'll have them sitting on top of their head. Other times they'll, they'll just be holding them. So when you get off the bus, if you scream to them, that means that you want to be chased. So they will chase you all through the parking lot while you are screaming your head off and they are having the best time of their life. Okay, so somebody, somebody try to guess. What do you think two 14-year-olds served at a food cart? Okay, Baptist, come on. Who said worms? Worms? Ew, bugs. <laughs> oh, frogs. Cockroaches? No, they, they do have those at the spider market, though. And scorpions. Okay. You ready? Crepes. And the, the reason I love telling that story is the look that I just got from some of you. And, and it's probably the same look that they got from the house moms. It's like, crepes? How do you even know what a crepe is? So they set them up um, the first night out, and they made enough batter for 40 crepes. Probably in their minds, thinking that they would come back with enough batter for 38 crepes, and they would have crepes for breakfast. They sold out in 20 minutes. And then the next night, they doubled the batter, and they sold out again. And it kept going like that for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so after a while, they pulled the girls aside, and they're like, what do you think? Is this something you guys want to do? And they're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be kajillionaires. But because they were 14, they did what 14-year-olds do all over the world, whether they're guys or girls. They got bored and quit. But you know what the best part about that story is? The best part about that story is not that two 14-year-olds got bored and quit. 
best part about that story is those two kids now know that they can stand on their own two feet and that they will never be so poverty-stricken that trafficking can ever enter their mind because they know that they can run their own business. Right now, we have about a 90% success rate. That means that after two years from the time of rescue um, to two years, over 90% of the kids that we have rescued are still free. And about 70% come to know Jesus. We have rescued kids who are now nurses, police women. They run, they run hotels. They run restaurants. When you give a child an opportunity to stand up and rise up, and you give them an opportunity, they take that and they run with it. So this morning, I told you today is all about rescue. And then I was going to call you to action. I'm not sure how much Sam let you in on what was going to happen. Did Okay. <laughs> okay. So we are not going to take a, a second offering. This is how we're going to do this. I've got a booth set up in the back. So if you want to help, if you want to rescue a child, today is your opportunity. I know Sam talked about the movie that came out and that there was a lot of, of talk about, oh my gosh, what do I do? And it's easy to look at because right now there's over one million children that are actively being bought and sold. It is easy to look at that number and go, what can I do? This is what I want you to do. I want you to focus on one. One. The average cost of a rescue is $1,500. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you would like to help, there are several ways that you can. One, you can write a check please write it out to Destiny Rescue. We have gotten checks written out to Destiny Child. Um, some of you older people will know what that means. Um, worst part about it is the bank cashed it. So the last one I got was, so I owe Beyonce $10. Um, but if you want to write a check, you can write a check. Um, make it out to Destiny Rescue. And in the back... There's one of these flyers. And if you want to give monthly, fill this out. Um, there's a way for you to give monthly. If you are into giving on Cash App or Venmo, come in the back. There's a, there's a QR code that you, can, um, that you can get on Cash App and get on Venmo and give that way. But this is what I would ask you to do. Just pray about, God, what would you have me do with this? And I know there's some of you who are here like, I don't have two nickels to rub together. Believe me, I get it. But this is what I want to leave you with. Right now, the countries that we work in, um, a lot of the brothels are just getting going. It's just that time of night where they're just getting started. And there are children standing there, and there are people bartering for their value. 
So I'm not going to beg you. I'm just going to ask you, do what you can. Let's rescue some kids. God bless. Thank you.